Hi folks, how are you? I hope this finds you well. Welcome to another episode of Soundtracking with me, Edith Bowman. Um, my weekly podcast where I talk to creatives from the world of film and music and TV about the beautiful relationship between the moving image and music. We as a family yesterday went to see Puss in Boots. Oh donkey, look at his wee boots uh, at the cinema, which was really nice. We haven't been at the cinema as a family for a while and it was it was just the most lovely way to spend a Sunday afternoon. Um, I've been to cinema a lot but in terms of the four of us and I've been with the kids individually and whatnot but it was so nice. So yeah, do it if you get the chance. It was so great. Popcorn, oh, loved it. It was so great. Anyway, I digress. Well, I kind of don't digress because this is what this is about, celebrating the joyful nature of films really and how much we love them and our latest guest on soundtracking is writer and director Gina Prince Bythewood whose latest film The Woman King has deservedly been nominated for a ton of awards. Set in 1823 The Woman King tells the story of the Agoji, an all-female warrior unit that defended the West African kingdom of Dahomey. Now what's wonderful actually with regards to this is you may be familiar with the fictionalised version of the uh, Agoji from the way they're represented in the Black Panther films beautifully. And this is almost their origin story in a way. It's an incredibly powerful film and not least for its very strong female cast, but the story is fascinating. Uh, the colourscape of this film is great. The action in it is brilliant. And the music, as you'd expect, is pristine because it's been done by none other than Terence Blanchard, former guest on the show. And we'll begin with his cue, Stronger Warriors. Gina, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm really, really great. Oh, thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I've actually, we've talked about you a little bit already on the podcast with the wonderful Terence Blanchard, who we've had on. Oh, I love him. Yeah, me too. What an amazing, (laughs) what an amazing way you feel after spending even remote time with him. He's (laughs) a pretty special individual. Listen, congratulations on... The Woman King. It's a, it's a powerful, brilliant um, story and film. It really, really is. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I don't know. I feel like there's been moments in my my life as a film fan where there's been female. I've seen female warriors on screen who've made a made an impact on me and have stuck with me. And this is definitely one of those examples. It's Uh-oh. it's an it's an amazing story. I was wondering if you wouldn't mind kind of kind of going back and. And talking about how the project first kind of presented itself to you and what that then meant for you in terms of the journey that you went on to the point where you then started shooting, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, foremost, I'll say literally from the beginning of my career, 25 years ago, 
I've always wanted to do a historical epic. It's one of my favorite genres. I love the, you know, the epic nature of them. I love that they take us into a world that we're unfamiliar with and, mm-hmm. and get us to care about these characters. I love the inherent heroism of it, of the David and Goliath aspect. So, and some of my favorite films are are just that, are, you know, Braveheart and Gladiator yes. and Last of the Mohicans, just these <laughs> big, epic, emotional pieces. So I've always had the desire. Unfortunately, Hollywood had not caught up to my dreams at that point. And um, that dream kind of felt far away. And I remember when a little line about this film was announced about seven years ago. And it just said that Viola Davis was going to star in a historical epic about um, some female African warriors. And honestly, my first thought was, wait, why didn't they come to me? Yes. (laughs) And I was just instantly intrigued. But then they did come to me and asked if I'd be interested in writing the script. And at that point, I was on a project and I I couldn't join, but I said, please come back to me uh, when you have a script in terms of directing. And in between that time, that was six years of Viola Davis and Julius Tenden and Kathy Shulman trying to get this film set up, trying to get Hollywood to understand that this could be a really good movie and a successful movie and a, a movie that needs to be told and it took so long. Wow. And finally, um, certainly the success of Black Panther absolutely opened the door for Hollywood to see the potential of a story like this. And um, and then uh, Nicole Brown at TriStar and Hannah Mangella, who was there before, saw this to women, saw the potential in this and had it set up. And at that point, that's when I came in. And I remember when I read the script, and literally, literally five pages in, I was like, oh, my God, you know, this is what I've been dreaming about. And just to read, you know, these women rise up out the grasses, you know, you just get pumped for that. And I wanted to be the one to be able to 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 shoot that. And then as I kept reading and seeing how much deeper the story went, the the historical nature of it, the sisterhood of these women, what it meant to be a female warrior at that time what it meant to live and die for your sister and what these women had to overcome to be in their positions and finally be in positions where they're respected and they have some power and some autonomy and some agency. Again, back in the 1800s, it was uh, was just a phenomenal read. And I just, I saw the movie in my head and I I just, I felt like this was a gift that was being handed to me and, and I wanted to I just wanted to accept and protect that gift. You know, in terms of these women who, you know, who existed in this in West Africa and you say in the 1820s and they were they were real women. They were they were, you know, th- this is based on real events. But what's brilliant is you've kind of you've rewritten the way they've been told in history, which has been really, you know, they've been incredibly unfairly treated through how they've been recorded and written in history. And I think one of the many things the film does is it addresses that and it gives them a voice, it gives them a story and it gives them a truth in a way, I think, as well. I'm so happy you said that. I You do not know because that it's been such a nonstop dialogue and 
really the beauty also of doing a historical epic at times is you're able to correct the historical record. Yeah. And I think so many of us, of course, we read history or, you know, sadly in, in our case, so many people go on Wikipedia and take what they read as, as fact and no one questions a history that was written hundreds of years ago and from one point of view. And so with our deep dive in, into this and being able to talk to people from Benin and academics and historians and ancestors of these women who got to correct this historically inaccurate information about this kingdom, about these women, and about the, you know, the question that we deal with, the crossroads that the, this kingdom was in about whether can, to continue with the trade or not. And at that point that we said it in 1823, it was specific because it was the big, the big epic battle between the oil kingdom and Dahomey and, and the David and Goliath that, that I love so much. But it was also absolutely a time where the trade had dropped 91% under Gezu. And these women who people like to say were, were part of it actually were not part of mm -hmm. the trade. They were not, you know, the, the king's hand handmaidens to go and, and capture women to sell. That just wasn't who they were. And so to be able to tell the truth about them and tell the truth based on new information, new fact, new data, it's exciting to me. Absolutely. And but maddening, of course, because, you know, yeah. not everybody has access to the information. Um, but again, this film is that information. You must be thrilled. I mean, I, I kind of really kind of thank you for for your 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 honesty and reaction to, you know, kind of, you know, Academy Awards and things like that. But that aside, the film fans and, you know, audience paying public have connected with this film and people are absolutely responding to it. And that must make you feel so happy because like you say, it's almost a slight domino effect of, you know, when you think about the entertainment to this film is phenomenal. But when you think about what we just talked about and that side of it, then then the, that that's going to snowball out and people are going to be, you know, whether they're going to pick up a, a book or read or learn more or just try and find the, the sort of the truth to things. It's doing a brilliant mm -hmm. job outside of it being a, thoroughly entertainment film. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. And and it's absolutely what I hope for because this has been a history that's been erased. Certainly, I didn't know about these women growing up. And I just think about if I had nothing to do with this as a woman, for me to go into a theater and look up and see women like this, I truly believe in the power of film and television and that it can absolutely change perception and change culture and change minds and inspire. And I mean, I was inspired on set every day, you know, watching these women. And um, certainly at this time, of course, what women are dealing with globally, the attack on women, it's yeah. certainly something that I was excited about to put in the world so that we can see ourselves um, as powerful, as having innate warriors within us, and also, again, how much we need each other. Um, and that doesn't, of course, discount the male audience. I have two boys. I have a husband. Same. And <laughs> nothing makes me happier. They love this movie. And it's but them being able to go and, and see these female warriors and understand, oh, things that we think about women, maybe we need to shift a little bit as well. That's what I love about the Viola Davis and John Boyega character, you know, in terms of that. I think that that's a great, I don't know, it's a really interesting relationship. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to describe. And obviously, for people who haven't seen the film, I don't want to talk too much in detail about things to give it away. But I think that that's a really fascinating relationship. And, and I really enjoyed watching that journey of that story of part of it. Yeah, they have an incredible dynamic. And John Boyega and Viola Davis, I mean, as a director, to be able to just be in rehearsals with those two, they fed off each other so well. And they understood their characters so well. And and what they meant to each other. So to, to see that type of dynamic and then build on that. I mean, John is playing a young king um, who, who came to power by deposing his brother, who he felt was leading the country in the wrong way and mm. so much pressure on them. And then you have an incredibly grizzled veteran um, who, you know, knows a lot about warfare and the cost of it. And so, you know, again, for them to have the conversations that they have, to have the respect of each other yeah. that they have and the emotion, it, it was really fun. And I know that Viola was was kind of very much driving force behind this story, like you talked about, you know, kind of, but the casting, you know, of those, the, that incredible collection of women and, you know, um, very proud to see Lashana Lynch and Sheila Tim up there and just absolutely kicking ass. It's so great. They're just, and every, the casting's brilliant. Was that a fun part of it, of kind of putting this group together? I love casting. It is the <laughs> most, it's the most exciting part and the most scary because <laughs> I, I cast with my gut and I just know. And mm -hmm. so if I know, and there's any question that I might not get you, it freaks me out. But as soon as I read the script, I immediately said, I want Lashana Lynch as a Zogi. And you could not sway me from that. I, I knew I would believe her. I knew an yeah. audience would believe her. I knew she had incredible chops. The thing I didn't know, not that I didn't think she did, but I didn't know the depth of her work ethic. It's insane, her desire to be great. And that was really all of them. Tuso, who plays Nawi, and Sheila, a Tim who um, plays Amenza, and of course, Viola. They fed off each other. They all have this desire to be great and an incredible work ethic. So when I come to you and I say, I need you to train so that you can do your own fighting and stunts, like I have to look you in the eye and believe that you're going to put in the work. And it's, you cannot quantify how hard it is what they did to work like that for months at a time when you've never done anything at that level. You know, we had to build athletes. I had to build athletes so that they wouldn't get hurt. Yeah. Uh, that their bodies could handle the level of what they did. And also so that that is you, you are on the battlefield, you are in that fight and an audience gets to see you and gets to see performance. And I don't have to cut away um, because I have to cut, you know, away from a stunt double. They did yeah. that work. And again, it's uh, the cast. I knew that level of training would also bond them. I needed the sisterhood to be real. Yeah. Actors can act, of course, but there are intangible things and oh my gosh, they are such an incredible <laughs> tight-knit group and fed off each other, not only the physicality and that desire to be great, as I said, but also these are incredible actors and their emotional life that they created for their characters and amongst each other. Like these characters became so real to me, to them. It was really a beautiful environment to to see actors who just elevate the words off the page. Phenomenal group. You've got the most brilliant history of relationship with music in your films and your productions. And with this one, as a slightly 
proud Scott, you know, who gets any opportunity to to have something to shout about. Am I right in thinking that the score for this was recorded by the Royal Scottish National Orchestra in Glasgow? Yes, it was. Yes! And, uh, Terence has said publicly that he's he's recorded with a number of different orchestras, and this was the best orchestra he's ever worked with. They connected with the material in an emotional way. It was really beautiful, you know, to see them hear the music. And again, Terrence was just composing incredible work. But what they brought, the emotion they brought to the music and the and the technique and the and the beauty, it was such an inspired. We were there for four days. We basically lived in that concert hall because everything was a rush and we had to get it done. And Terrence was still composing some of the pieces and I'm, wow. you know, in that room with him. And then they're running the, you know, the sheet music out to the orchestra who's waiting. And, and then they would play and everyone would just, you know, let it wash over you. It was such an inspired experience. And, and yeah, to see a full orchestra just want to be a part of something special. You felt it and it was an incredible experience. never asked this question before but do the orchestra get to read the script you know in terms of you talking about them kind of feeling it and really getting the emotion across I I, I, I never something I've never asked actually so whether it's whether they are privy to more than the sheet um, music they have yeah they don't read the script sometimes if there's time they may watch the film what they did is we would play the scenes for them yeah and then the scenes would be playing as they were playing. It's uh, 
it's a really incredible thing to do that. What was your, when you read that script, you know, you said after like four or five pages, you were kind of like, did you hear the, the you know, what you had in mind for music as well? And, and how was it to be kind of, you know, reunited on a, you know, on a filmic scale with, with Terrence? I know you've worked together over the years on, on various projects, but in terms of, you know, he was your first film, wasn't he? He did the score yeah. first feature film. To come back to him for this, what was the conversations you had? Yeah, I knew as soon as I read the script that I wanted Terrence. Um, I just think his work is... Just he's just been humming at another level for years now. And we have such a good collaboration. I didn't know what sound I wanted. I knew I wanted it to be cultural and epic. I knew I wanted voice. I feel like voice is a great way to get emotion. Yeah. But I didn't know what that could feel like. And honestly, I had said, I in my mind, I, I said, I don't think this is orchestral because that's going to feel, is that going to take away from the cultural aspect of it? And it was Terrence who said, no, that people automatically think of orchestral as European, but there are orchestras all around the world. And um, we can absolutely use orchestra and to bring the culture. And it's about instrumentation. And so uh, props to him. He he found an incredible way to to marry that, an orchestral cultural score that incorporated beautiful voice and with just African instrumentation and being able to get both the energy for the action sequences and the incredible motion for the quiet character moments. And I, I love the score so much. And um, he created this theme. That was the first thing he played me. It's always scary when the composer sends you the first thing that's in their head because we had talked so much about it. And it's one thing to talk about it, but yeah. What does that actually mean? And he <laughs> said to um, me and my editor, Terrilyn Shropshire, who's also worked with Terrence many, many times. And we were running around the room. It, it We loved it so much. It was so emotional. It was so beautiful. And it was like, yeah, that he actualized what we've been talking about. Let me be for you. 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 Let
it's that beautiful thing of uh, the drums and nature as well you know the, the sound the sound design as well and how how almost nature is almost like a musical instrument through so much of the film I feel as well you hear the elements or whether it's bird song or whether it's all these kind of different things that texture different parts of the film and the voices and then it's melodic and it's lush and it's grand but it's not overpowering at all it's just got it's like a character and I think that that's a when score works it feels like it's kind of it's bedded in and it's ingrained in the performances the 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 landscape all of that particularly with this where it is kind of you know like there's a there is a huge kind of cultural presence there as well and it's not predictable and it's not it's it's just so perfect now thank you and again terence is a genius you know score it's it's such a tricky thing um you mentioned it that you it needs to feel of the film and in, embedded in an organic way and you never wanted to use it as a crutch you know and you never wanted to overpower that performance so it's it's such a balance but but he knows how to do that and i'm i'm Love that you mentioned the sound design because Becky Sullivan, who designed it, she's incredible. And it's so much a part of the world building. Again, we're we're creating 1823 and it's not just the visuals, it's a sound. And in, in the research, so much that was talked about was the animals and how much a part of the environment they were. Of course, I can't have leopards and elephants <laughs> walking through my sets, even though uh, elephants did mess up one of our sets. No. Before shooting, it was crazy. A whole herd came through. But, you know, it's amazing what the mind can do with the right sound design. And, and Becky was able to create it where you feel the birds and you feel um, the wildlife, but you actually only see it a couple times. And the couple times we were able to naturally capture it. So... Um, I just I love what what she did. The, the scene before they kind of have the battle that involves the the dynamite and the, the, the almost the quiet nature of the pre-battle bit before that, and it's really it's almost quite meditative in a way. It's really brilliant. You know, they're kind of they're all kind of getting ready for this big huge thing, and it's it's just really serene. It's just so it works so well. It's brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. A couple of things I wanted to talk to you about other films as well, but before that, the the other thing I wanted to talk about about Woman King was the was the women as well and and their voices within the film, the kind of I guess their diegetic melodies that they use as kind of you know battle cries or you know all that kind of thing as well. What was the you know what was the creation of that and the you know and and talking to the cast about that and what that would be and how much preparation of what how, what preparation did you do for those those kind of little moments. Yeah, it was one of the things I was so excited about in the research was finding out how big dance and music were for this culture and certainly for this kingdom and for the women. And they they used to create these elaborate dances to get ready for battle, to celebrate the king, celebrate each other. So um, that was something I was excited to infuse. And also, I wanted to incorporate the the natural... Uh, language, which was Fong Bay. That's what they spoke uh, back mm -hmm. then. I knew I couldn't have the entire film subtitled, but I wanted to incorporate it. And I felt that if I did it within the songs, that that felt like an organic way to honor the language. And 
And not necessarily, you don't necessarily have to subtitle that. You just know what they're singing is powerful and music, again, crosses all cultures. So um, that was the decision there. And it's so funny because the actors, again, they're so, they're so <laughs> incredible. Like, okay, not only do you need to train five hours a day for months to be able to do your own fighting and stunts, you also have to train for hours to learn these choreographed dances. And these dances like start on volume 10 and stay there. And <laughs> yes, you got to do all the dialect training and you have to learn how to sing in another language. But they embraced it all. They they embraced it all. And it was, you know, the actors, they still talk about shooting the battle dance. And that was the big choreographed sequence before they go into battle. It was a stunning day, night on set, just because they had been building towards it and building towards it, but nobody on the crew had seen it. Every All the rehearsals were in, in private. And I remember when I finally rehearsed one time for the cameras, I told the actors, go 70% because uh, you're going to do this a couple of times. And uh, they finished that rehearsal and the entire crew just broke into applause. Like you, it was electric. You could feel it. And then the actors started to feed off of that energy and, you know, those kind of moments as a director, when things again become so real, uh, it's it's so exciting. And the actors, again, it was everything. When I say cut, they all collapsed. And then the second I said, you know, action, they were, you would never know how exhausted they were. Oh, man, that's so great. We all need one of those. We need the, um, you know, like those kind of um, fitness classes you can go to, but you do dance. <laughs> So instead of it being like the kind of Beyonce class, we need the Woman King dance so we can all get in there and learn the kind of battle dance. I would definitely be there for that. It just, it does. It kind of, you feel every hair on your body standing on edge, even just talking about it. It's kind of, it's so powerful. That's a good way to make some money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do you mind if we talk a little bit about Beyond the Lights? Because I had the absolute joy of of doing a, an in conversation with the wonderful Gugu Mbatha-Raw, who's just... Oh, wow, love her so much. Yeah, she's wonderful. And this was one of the films that we we both, when we kind of did a chat beforehand, we really wanted to talk about. And um, I mean, this is a film that... Wow, there's just so much about this film that I think is kind of really important and relevant, you know, unfortunately still to so many... Um, particularly mm-hmm. women in the music industry, you know, that kind of, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's brilliant. What was the, what was the catalyst for you writing this? What was the thing that made you want to tell this character's mm-hmm. story? There's a couple catalysts, both personal and inspiration. So I'll say the, the first inspiration of the film came, I was, I was sitting at a concert, an Alicia Keys concert, and she started to sing the song Diary, which is this, beautiful deeply emotional duet and i started seeing the film and i started seeing this woman on a balcony hanging hanging off and it was just one of those incredible things as a writer where like i'm literally watching the movie and so from there it was like okay what does this mean and what can i build who is this woman and around that time someone in my family had attempted suicide and thankfully, um, they were found in time. Yeah. And where they are now is 180 degrees. And so I really wanted to be able to 
to put into the world, choose life and understand that where you may be at your darkest hour, there truly is light um, yeah. and you just have to hang on and you just have to get there. So I wanted to put that message into the world, given what I'd gone through personally. And then it stemmed from my love-hate relationship with R&B and hip-hop. <laughs> and at, at that time, it felt like, certainly for Black women, uh, Black female artists, there was a tendency of people being pushed to come out in a hyper-sexual manner. Yeah. But then you get locked into that. Yeah. Even if it's not authentic to you, but people think that's authentic. And so if you ever try and break out of that, then you're actually being inauthentic. So it was just, I had the opportunity to talk to a ton of female artists, some really huge that everybody knows and respects and loves, and some up and coming. And to hear their stories, there was such a sameness to it. Yeah. And the moments that 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 moment where you're told to take off your shirt in a photo shoot and you have no protection and people are saying, don't worry about it, just do it. You know, it was a stunning thing and heartbreaking. And so I just wanted to put all of that in. And also the genre. I love I love musical films. I, 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 just yeah. do. I love music. And um, again, you know, The Rose is oh. such a. A classic, and I nearly started singing it to you there. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I won't put you through that. <laughs> I might have joined you. Um, so I, I just I, I love musical films, and so it was just exciting to do that, and then to find Gugu, who could embody this character that I had fallen in love with. Um, she just again another actor who has a desire to be great and an insane work ethic, and she was an absolute joy. And what's the journey with with creating the songs with that? You know, in terms of, you know, the you know Diane Warren with with Grateful as an example, but then the Nina Simone track Blackbird in the film. You know, it's kind of and and writing the script around that. And how does how involved do you get in the lyrical side of things as well when there is original songs as part mm-hmm. of it? I mean, given that this was you know, musical film and my love of music, I would, within the script, I wrote what the songs were about that she's singing. I don't write yeah. songs, but I at least write what they were about. Yeah. And so when I went to The Dream, who created all of Noni's songs, you know, I went to him specifically. He's somebody yeah. who writes for Rihanna and Beyonce and, I mean, huge, huge songwriter, artist. And I knew he could tap into the type of, music that Noni would be forced to put out. Is there any- 
but with Blackbird, when I heard, like Nina Simone is always part of my musical playlist. When I write, I create playlists. Mm -hmm. And I was going through the, you know, 100 CDs that, that I have Nina Simone. And I came across the song Blackbird and it felt like it was written for the movie. And it actually changed the structure of the film because before um, Midway, she sings her own song, but I, using Blackbird at the beginning as a song that, you know, little Noni sang and then wanted to get back to that, that Blackbird worked better and then give her her moment at the end with her original song. So I love when stuff like that happens when a song is so powerful that it could, you know, change the trajectory of the story. And Nina Simone and Blackbird is, is, I mean, it, God, what an amazing song that is. And uh, so um, that was a big part. And then the song at the end with Diane Warren. Diane Warren, again, is a genius. She watched the film and then just wrote it. And um, I didn't have, I think I had like two or three word changes. Like she had just nailed what, what the story of it yeah. and what I wanted an audience to feel at the end of it. A lot of battles left me battered and bruised And I was shattered, had my heart ripped in two I was broken, I was broken There were a lot of times I stumbled and crashed When I was on the edge down to my last chance So many times when I was so convinced that I was over, I was over But I had to Going to do another musical film. I'm not adverse to that. Honestly, <laughs> the only genre, the only genre I don't like is horror. Um, so there's a couple more things I have to do, but yeah, a great one awesome. came to me. Love it. <laughs> um, oh, dude, I could chat to you for hours. Just, I mean, I have even. There's so much more I wanted to talk to you about. Um, love and basketball and the secret life of bees and all that. But we, we can do that in part two when we get to chat for your next project. Listen, I wish you every success at BAFTAs as well, both you and Viola and Sheila as well. And uh, and the recognition is, is so deserved because the film is absolutely phenomenal. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you. This was lovely and really appreciate you. Oh, take care. Thank you so much, Sheila. Lots of love. Bye.
you free from the past freedom at last what is life other than a cage to me i'm free at last free from you free from the past freedom at last what is life other than a cage to me From Beyond the Lights, that's Blackbird, as performed by Gugu and Batha Rose character Noni, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the wonderful Gina Prince Bythewood. My huge thanks to Gina for taking the time to talk to us. You can catch The Woman King in cinemas and it is now also available on home ends formats as of the 17th. And we wish the film every success during awards season. If you'd like to listen to my chat with Terence, head to edithbowman.com where you can also find every single episode of the podcast. And you can find us at Soundtrack in UK on social media. We also have a YouTube channel too with loads of extra content. In fact, I shall try and get Gina's uh, video up for this conversation as soon as my Wi-Fi will let me. Next up, now, we're not totally sure if I'm going to be completely honest and transparent with you because we are penciled to speak to the Son Lux boys who did the score for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, and fingers crossed that happens Wednesday night. Um, but what we do know, so we might have a bonus episode for you on Friday. But next Monday, you might have heard me talk about him before, Ben Caron. Uh, I've actually known Ben for years. He's a sort of friend of a friend, a friend of a couple of friends, in fact. And I've been lucky enough to talk to him through my work on the Crime Podcast because Ben produced um, and directed quite a number of episodes of The Crown. He has, however, just directed his first feature film. You might have seen it advertised. It's all over the place. It's called Sharper. It stars uh, Julianne Moore, Sebastian Stan, uh, John Lithgow, and it's really clever. It's out in cinemas. It's also going to be available on Apple TV. So I'm very excited to have Ben Caron, our guest, on Soundtracking, and I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.